Another week, another episode. Like and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Follow us on Instagram at 91octane. If you want to send us any emails, info at 91octane.com. Also, don't forget, use code SHITBOX, S-H-I-P-B-O-X, for free shipping on orders over $35 on the website. All right, let's start the show. This thing is a freaking monster. <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome to 91 Octane. I am John, and next to me, you are seeing Gareth Foley, fellow Beamerhead, FCP Euro celebrity, and now weight reduction expert, I would say. Yeah, man. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show, man. Thank you for for joining me as guest host. Yeah. How you been? Busy, 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 busy. Yeah, Uh, I bet. You know... I hate. I don't know this, right? Coming to the end of the year, every year just seems to get faster. Like, yeah, it was winter last year, and now it's winter again this year. Obviously, over here in Connecticut, it's uh, it's kind of cold outside, but yeah, I don't really know what happened this year. It just passed on by. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, every year it gets faster and faster. Uh, by the time you know Thanksgiving rolls around, I'm like, where the hell did the rest of the year go? I need um, time to slow down a little bit. Yeah, and as the years have progressed since I've met you. I've also said to myself, where where the hell did the rest of Gareth go? You have been on a mission, man, which has motivated me, honestly. It has motivated me. It's great to see how fit you've gotten. Um, I know this is an automotive podcast, but I want to highlight sure. this. Like, how, uh, how many pounds have you lost since you started your journey? Uh, you know, I actually don't know the exact number. I okay. Really That's um, the way to do it. I can definitely say it's over 100 pounds at this point. Wow. Uh, but it was done, but you know, it was, it was, it was slow progression and, and, you know, it was, it was simple things like I need to be more active. I mean, the, the biggest factor for me is IMSA 2021, I was doing refueling. I actually wanted to go into wheel changing for 2022. Yeah. Uh, and to do that, you need to be fast. You need to be fit. So I'm like, all right, if I can drop some pounds, maybe we can get into that thing sort of changed up on that front, but I was just starting to feel tired and sluggish and just didn't feel right. And I'm like, I need to do something about it now, you know? So, um, it's been just over two years since I, I made that change and I've, I've stuck with it and, um, it's great. You know, I can actually get like a normal size seat for the E36. So I was able to squeeze <laughs> yeah. that in there. So it's, you know, it's easier to corner balance a car when, when you, when you take some weight out. So <laughs> yeah, it works yeah. it's funny because I contemplated that I'm like, um, you know, it, was there an automotive reason for this, for this change? Cause for me, there was, uh, sure. you know, the, the, I'm, I'm running time trials and the class that I'm running in counts car weight, but not driver weight. So of course okay. I'm motivated to lose weight, but of you course. did mention being a tire, cha- tire changer in IMSA. Which yep. sort of uh, a variable in the decision, right? Maybe not the whole decision. No, I mean, that was definitely a motivator because I, I wanted to do that. And, you know, again, I just wasn't feeling very good. Um, you know, if, if I was at work and I'm sitting down, I'm like, I didn't want to get up. Yeah. And that, that was kind of like the little gears in my head started turning. Like, that's not that's not good, you know? Yeah. Um, just wasn't eating right, wasn't active enough. And, you know, after a while, you just kind of start to feel that, like, yeah, you just know something is not good. You yeah, know? man. And uh, for me, it was just like, you know, at the time I was 34. So I'm 36 now. I'll be 37 in, in March. Right. Okay. Uh, there's kind of a point where it's like, if you don't get it together, 
it's going to get harder and harder to get it together. And, and I'm just like, I don't really want to live like that anymore. So let me figure out how to make this work. And I mean, really it's just eat better, stay active, exercise, hold myself accountable. And, and, you know, it's just a little bit over a long period of time. It, it all adds up, you know? So, yeah, man, it's been impressive to see. Congratulations, Thanks. man. Truly. I congratulations. It. I appreciate it. So for the listeners, what you can expect today, of course, we're going to go through our headlines as usual and carry the conversation forward. We're going to learn a little bit more about Gareth in the middle of the episode. And then of course he's going to take a shot at becoming the King motorhead this week through our motorhead blitz challenge. Uh, are you ready, Gareth? Are you ready for the challenge? Uh, we'll see. I kind of feel like I live in my own little world, so uh, we'll, okay. we'll see how much I'm paying attention. All right. All right. We'll see. We'll, I try not to make it too hard. It's it's fair. All right. I trust right. it's fair. I, at least I say it's fair. Who knows? Okay. All right. Well, let's get into our headlines, the first of which, Ricky Bobby requests F1 seat from Andretti, declaring it's time that Frenchie Girard loses at his own game. Talladega Nights is one of my favorite movies. I am surprised they didn't make a second one in which Will Ferrell jumps into F1. It, it seemed like the logical move, but, I mean, they didn't do it. Do it. That Maybe. I mean, there's still time. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. Do you have a favorite car movie? Oh, my God. I have actually too many. Um, and it, <laughs> it, 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 it honestly really depends on the day, depends on the mood. I, I think the most quotable movie is obviously going to be the original Fast and the Furious, you know? Okay. I oh, so you are the... a Fast... Le- Sorry, let me stop you there. I'm sorry yes. to interrupt. You are a Fast and the Furious fan. Yes? Uh, it got a little bit too ridiculous uh, on the last Wait. three, four movies. Okay, for me, okay. That... For me, when they wrote off Paul Walker, yeah, that was kind of the end of the road, but even at that point, it got a little bit out there. So, I don't know, the first one, sure. The second one, Tokyo Drift. But then once you got into, like, the fourth and the fifth, and the, it just got... Like, it wasn't really about cars anymore. It was now yeah. doing heist and international crime. It's just, I don't know. But the original one, like, that's the one that, like, I remember, I think I, I got on DVD as a kid. Very quotable movie. Anybody who's into cars today who grew up during that time is is going to know those lines. And, and none of the lines in that movie make any sense, right? But, like, <laughs> yeah. you can just quote them and, you know, somebody else is going to be able to pick up the slack. So, What's your favorite quote? Oh, it's it's uh, when they're when they're you know when they're at the meetup and they start going through all the specs of the car, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's and listen, all I think everybody in in the car game does this to some degree where you start listing off a bunch of nut, but like none of that stuff is just, oh it's you know it's got a T it's got a T four this it has uh, a Motec system exhaust and I'm like that's the line that kills me and I go Motec system exhaust I'm like yeah. I've heard of Motec like standalones and Motec yeah. power management Motec system exhaust that's not a thing we're just throwing names out there <laughs> yeah. yeah man I mean and they had actual consultants for this which is surprising but they really won it on this I mean it was probably the actors yeah, did. yeah. Like, it is what it is. But like, I mean, listen, Love Rush. Rush is a great film. Oh, okay, that's um, a good one. Yeah, love how they did that. Um, Ford versus Ferrari, fantastic one. Um, I mean, I do like Talladega Nights. I'm not gonna lie, that's it, it's a classic. But you yeah. know, we also Days of Thunder. That's another great one. Uh, one of my yeah. coworkers, Nate Vincent, does look like a Tom, like basically Tom Cruise, but today in the race. Oh. So we have <laughs> yeah. a photo floating around of basically Tom Cruise and Nate in the racing attire side by side with the long flowing hair. And it, we actually took that photo at Summit Point, which I don't know if you know, but Tom Cruise back in the 80s used to do a lot of like stock car racing, that kind of stuff, I believe in NASA or oh, some. I didn't know that. No, it wasn't NASA. I think it was no SCCA. SCCA. Okay. And. 
he was driving at some point. You can find those races on YouTube. Like oh, 1985, okay. 1986, 1987, something like that. He's been an adrenaline junkie for a while. He has. He has. Yeah. But like, it, I, I happened to stumble across that. I'm like, holy, holy shoot. Like, really? I, I never <laughs> yeah. even thought about that. I'm like, you're just yeah. looking at like young Tom Cruise is driving some some race cars built by Nissan in, in SECA at some point. I mean, it's what kind a of wild life, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. All right, cool. You've got a, a long list of movies. Um, oh, yeah. What what's the one out of those that you go back to regularly though that you'll rewatch? Oh, it's for recently. It's it's for the last couple of years. It's been Rush. Okay, okay. Um, because I <clears throat> I do like Formula One, but that era of racing, uh, there was a lot of risk. People died all the time. It wasn't yep. just in Formula One, but it was it was anything. Um, you know, those cars were built in garages with like the most rudimentary tools. It's not like what it is today. Uh, the drivers knew that what they were risking, and, and obviously there was a high level of competition amongst them. But I think the the story of of Nicky Lauda and um, oh my God, that's not good. James Hunt. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been a long day. It happens. Yeah. Um, but you know, James Hunt was a broadcaster. You know, he won his world championship, and and you know, he kind of just sort of faded off. But Nicky Lauda, especially with his involvement with. Um, Formula One, even after his retirement, uh, Mercedes AMG F1, and then before that he was he was with Jaguar. He was a consultant for Ferrari. Like he stayed in it for such a long time. Yeah. And so you know that's a face that you see. And then there's a movie, and I believe he was actually directly involved in the making of that movie in terms of like some of the historical context, and he provided um, you know the basis for the actor to like you know this is this is how things were and and i think it's kind of interesting you don't really see too many movies that have like that kind of historical context where people are able to provide that value and like a lot of it you know sure there was a little bit of hollywood in it too there's always going to be but um i just like how it's filmed it's it's fun to watch like you just kind of get that feeling of that era of motorsport i'm gonna give you a bit of an unfair question here Sure. Um, you know, going off of what you described about Lauda, kind of having control of how his story is being told, right? Yeah. Yep. If someone were to be making a movie about you and sort of your involvement with cars, it doesn't have to be motorsport necessarily. Sure. How would you want that story to be told? Honestly, um, it, it's it's kind of funny because I I just feel like, especially my involvement at FCP Euro, like that story ends up being told one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, honestly, part of it would be. I, I I would I would want the struggle. I'd want the struggle to be shown, right? Because okay. um, you know, I didn't go to school to learn how to work on cars. In fact, I wasn't even allowed to work on cars. My mom did not want me doing it. She's like, Oh, if you get hurt, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I kinda learned on my own and it, and it was more of a necessity and it turned into this whole trickle effect of like, okay, I can find the information, if I could figure out how to take it apart, I think I could figure out how to put it back together and then it just turned into a constant game of escalation. Right. Um you know, I've learned a lot from a lot of talented people. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of moments where I'm quiet and I'm just kind of taking in things that are happening around me. And, and that's one way that I learn. Um, but, you know, there's a point of like, I can find the information. I can figure out how to take it apart. Somewhere in there, I'll have an experience. Maybe I'll struggle the first time around. But, you know, you, you learn by experience, right? They're right, machines. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Not everything is smooth. I'd say, you know. If it goes too smoothly, that's sometimes concerning. It's like, should it have been that easy? Yeah. Now, I've done it a lot. 
sure it should be but if it's the first time you're doing something major there's always that kind of like level of nervousness like okay i'm not 100 comfortable with this but i'll figure it out and you build this basis for you know an understanding of how to do the work and from there uh you know especially if you stay consistent with it you do get a level of comfort but to get comfortable doing something you have to be uncomfortable doing it first you know yeah absolutely and, and i think that's everybody sees the success stories, but nobody really sees everything that goes behind it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's no, you're 100% I, I right. Yeah. I, I, and I'd be interested in that too. I mean, I, I sort of crave that type of content where it's like, you know, I want to know the challenges. I mean, you learn more from those lessons, of course. And, but yeah, most of the time people are just showing you the final result, the, the sort of the glamorous side of whatever's being done. Yep. So that's cool. All right. I look forward to that movie, Gareth. We'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see. On to our next headline. NASCAR launches documentary Drive to Actually Compete to rival Formula One's Drive to Survive. If you had a chance to drive for one automotive body sport, what would it be? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I think I, I have to stick with my BMW roots. Um I, I do love sports car racing. Like that's just what appeals to me. If I could do something with BMW Motorsport, that would be great. I have to. I have to. I have to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, you know, I. It, it's interesting these days too because all of the manufacturer-built race cars now. So like whether it's an M4 GT3 or an M4 GT4 or M2 CS. Um, you know, these cars are all very heavily based on the road going car. Now the GT3, not so much, but like a G82 M4 GT4. Yep. Uh, I was literally looking at this today. Um, and you know, it uses the 8HP transmission or at least the version that's called the 8HP 76. So it's using an eight speed automatic, you know, torque converter transmission. The 8HP has been used in the Super GT4, the M240iR, uh, the Aston Martin GT4. Like, a lot of these cars are very heavy production-based, you know? And it's yeah. funny because it's like these, these are probably the closest factory-built race cars that you will see to a road car ever. You know, you don't have this crazy stuff going in them. Now, there's a couple of standouts here and there. Yeah, uh, like when, we're, when we were running the AMG GT4s in IMSA back in 2021-2022, Mercedes threw a lot of GT3 stuff in them, I think, because they had already had it laying around and they just wanted to do it that way. That didn't make those cars inherently expensive to run. Um, but I, I do like that BMW keeps their factory race cars that could be in you know IMSA and, and other forms of sports car racing throughout the world very close to what the road cars are. And there is sort of that DNA that comes down. So when you are buying an F80 or, or sorry, a G80 or G82, like it's not that far off from being a GT4 car. You know, if you could I, put I think, that in dollars, how would, how long, how, what would that gap be? You know, it's, it's, it's actually crazy because, um, with how expensive the road cars are now, I mean, I'm seeing G80s and G82s going for a hundred thousand plus, depending on their options. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the GT4 cars are 160, 170, 180 wow. at the low end. And yeah. you can buy them used. You can buy them one season old, and they do depreciate. So you can actually almost buy one of these cars used one season for almost the price of one brand new road car. So it's not necessarily, I wouldn't call it affordable. It's not. Yeah, I don't have that but kind it's of achievable. 
not affordable, but achievable. Yeah. yeah, it's it's achievable. I mean, running costs are always going to be the expense. The logistics, particularly in the United States, is always going to be expensive to go to races. But like, yeah, I would love to do GT4, GT3 racing. That would be awesome. But I mean, even at that, like any kind of road car racing, whether it be with WRL or AER, I mean, that's that just kind of fits me because these are basically road cars at the end of the day. And that yeah. that makes sense to me. You know, when you get into the hyper cars and you get into WEC and Formula One, I do appreciate those cars from the technical perspective, but like they're go-karts. Yeah. Really fast, high downforce go-karts. And they're, they're, yeah. they're cool, but there's no correlation back to what you can buy and what you drive every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I follow a lot of like TCR and – you know, a lot of different racing that has cars that you could see on the road. It's there's sure. something exciting about that. Um, yeah, you, TCR, you also forgot about that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I did that for a couple of years. I mean, the TCRs are cool, but I don't know front wheel drive. I mean, granted, those cars do rotate because they're set up for it. But like, yeah, I don't know. I'm a rear wheel drive guy. That's just oh that's yeah, just you're me. BMW hardcore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. Exactly. You also mentioned being a tire changer for IMSA. Was that part of like a, a, like a, a stepping stone to a bigger journey in IMSA, or or like what was the the motivation behind that? I mean, so you know, all my motorsport ex- experiences with FCP Euro, mm-hmm. and that turned into a really just a snowball effect, right? Because it was it was 2016. We were running an E30 325i that was owned by like Michael Herzen at the time, and, and he was working as a private contractor, his own personal car, but we wanted to do kind of a branding thing with it and, and see how that went. So I went to a race at Summit Point in mid-Ohio, and I helped crew, and that had been the first time I had ever actually been at a racetrack working. Now, I'd gone to, like, races before and walked through the paddocks and did all that stuff, so, like, I knew the environment, but I'd never actually been over the pit wall or done anything like that before, right? So first weekend, I'm, I'm doing refueling in AAR and, and trying to learn the rules and all that kind of stuff. Then we decide to do a full season of it in 2017, right? And then we decide to build a Mercedes W204 C300. We found a, a six-speed manual low-mileage car in New York City out of all places. Okay. I, I, I mean, they don't drive there, so it makes sense. Yeah. yeah so, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a W204 C300, uh, and it's a manual, which is kind of a rare thing. And so we built that car in-house after hours, three in the morning, four in the morning, weekends, mm. like t- trying to take something that is not used for that and try right. to turn it into an endurance car and it ended up being really successful. The first race we went to was... Uh, road atlanta in march of 2017 and we won both races in class that weekend with a brand new car that we still had teething issues on but the thing is it ran it it wasn't the fastest in class but it just ran and it ran and it ran and it ran and we nailed the pit stops and you know that was a little bit more of a comfortable step up but like that's a car that helped build you know and i I learned a decent amount doing it and you know also learned a lot of manufacturers do a lot of the same stuff. So when you look at a suspension on a W204, it's not that different than like an E90 chassis. It's, you know, double, double right. link front suspension, five link rear. I mean, you look at this stuff and you go, okay, there's things that we can do to plug and play here. Right. Right. Um, and then 2018 rolls around and we decide to get into Prelude world challenge with the TCRs. Right. Oh, okay. So now we're stepping up again. Right. So, so now it's a game of escalation. So, you know, first year with the TCRs, we, uh, ran those with the DSG setup, and they were non-competitive against the sequential cars, right. obvious reasons. Yep. So then 2019, we decided to upgrade to sequentials, and all of the manufacturer-based teams leave to go to IMSA. 
So we were almost racing ourselves at that point. Oh, okay. But we had a great year, you know? Um, and then 2020 hit, and we're going to do our third year with the TCRs. And obviously 2020, that's when the world fell apart. So we withdrew from the season because it, it, it just didn't make sense for us to, from a business standpoint, you know, sending people out on the road to go racing while we're trying to tell people to take care of themselves and be careful and yeah. keep the business running. This just wasn't the responsible thing. And then uh, 2021, we step up to IMSA with GT4 Racing with AMG GT4s, which now we're doing refueling, BOP for refueling, and all that kind of stuff. So I get deep into the weeds on refueling and everything that's involved with that. So setting up the fuel rig, uh, you know, uh, estimating flow, estimating capacity, putting blocks in the, you know, like we went from TCR, which is very straightforward, to GT4, which is a different regulation in a series that has hot pit stops with refueling. Right. And that was like, that is straight 100%. The first race we did in mid-Ohio of 2021, I was so nervous about fuel and, and how fast we could be and making sure that we were safe on margins and everything like that. I mean, like, it, it's, you know, again, that goes back to the whole thing about being uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Learn through discomfort and you learn by doing. And, and that's kind of how all of that went, you know, but but through 2021, just being involved in IMSA and and, and even just handling the feeling like you need people just to handle those aspects. Right. Yeah. No, was there, yeah. What was, was there a moment in your sort of feeling responsibilities that maybe people aren't aware of where you were like, Oh shit, I made a mistake. (laughs) Uh, So, so, you know, actually I spent so much freaking time uh, testing and retesting that I was never concerned about being, uh, illegal in terms of capacity because that's one of the ways that the BOP and IMSA is the amount of fuel that you can carry which obviously is you know certain cars are more efficient than others so uh, they want to make it so that you're forced to to stop potentially multiple times a race right right um lime rock 2021 we had a really bizarre race a lot of crashes um and we were able to extend for a very, very, very long time. In fact, there were so many uh, safety cars and full course cautions for the second stint of the race that we just kept the car out because we found ourselves in the lead lap and we're like, if we could just kind of keep it out there right now, we could potentially win this race at home. Oh, nice. Okay. Unfortunately, the car ran out of fuel with about a third of a lap to go. Oh, no. Which was honestly very devastating for me personally. Um, yeah. Now, we stopped, I think, like 48 or 49 minutes into the race. So expecting it to go that long, even with fuel saving and, and running the car lean, because there, there was some map switching that you could do in those cars to do a fuel save. Right. Um, that was that was stretching the limit beyond reason at that point. And the car was already slowing down because the tires were falling off. But the car running out of fuel, I took that personally. I'm like, if I just held the fueler in for a little bit longer, maybe we could have gotten a little bit more in. You know, if it was just a splash, maybe we could have gone in. But what when I was sweating is the IMSA official comes over and they say, We want to we want to test your car for fuel capacity. Okay. Which is a very common thing, right? So if they expect that a team has done something to extend the runtime of the car or they want to do random checks, like they do that, like right. they will have you refuel the car in pit lane, they'll drag the car back to inspection, then you have to pump out. Right. 
Oh, okay. Up to that point, uh, we were not using similar equipment to what IMSA does to measure fuel capacity. So there's a little bit of a, is it this much? I was always doing a weight calculation. So weight to capacity, which is always going to vary based on ambient temperature and, and how much it expands. Yeah. The fueling on those GT4s was very specific. You had to power the car on to fill the surge tank because there was okay. four surge pumps in the main cell and that filled the surge tank, which was then picked up by the main pump. IMSA told us, follow the instructions, tell us, do exactly what we tell you. They never told us to turn the pumps on. So uh, the car was very, 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 very underfueled for the test. So we were like eight, nine liters underneath what it should have been. Right. And they let us go. 25 minutes later, they realized their mistake. Oh. And they wanted us to do it again, but we had no fuel in, in, in our in our paddock because it was all down in pit lane and we were taking everything down, everything down to clear the GT3 race, right? Okay, yeah. So they just let us go at that point. All right. The next race at um, at Road America, like I made 100% sure. I'm like, listen, that was very close. I don't, we could have been disqualified. And by the way, in IMSA, there's a lot of disqualifications post-race because of fuel capacity infringements. Oh, okay. Nobody ever really talks about that because the team still goes on the podium and there's still all that, but that's like an after-race you've been disqualified for too much fuel, right? Right, okay. At Road America, I 100% made sure, no question, absolutely legal. I mean, to the point where, like, it would it would be underfueled significantly. But Road America is such a fuel-thirsty track. If you're running under uh, full course, you know, green conditions all the time, you're going to stop twice. It's it, There's no way to do it other, other than that. So Yeah. Uh, and then in a branding when we were there. And it was a mess and there was full course cautions all the time. And like, it didn't really matter at all. So it's, it's just, that was the one time where I'm like, okay, I think I'm doing a good job, but like, let me make a hundred percent sure this time around that we're not on that verge of like, you know, legality. Yeah. Yeah. That's what racing is. You know, racing is always trying to find that limit and pushing it as much as possible and really getting on the edge of the rules without going over. So Yeah, yeah. And sometimes going over just a little bit, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's take this back to sort of the theme of the headline, F1, right? Um, I think this has been discussed a lot, but I do want your opinion. You know, this year of F1, there's a lot of discussions on whether it was competitive, whether it was boring. My first question to you is, do you have, like, a favorite team or a team that you're a fan of? You know, I feel like this is the most generic reply possible. I yeah. think if I were to pick a big team, my favorite big team is Mercedes-AMG F1. Okay. Um, the underdog team, though, for me, it's got to be Haas. That's okay. just, yeah. just what it is because I, I recognize that as a team that, sure, you know, it is the American team. It doesn't have American drivers. I, actually, I think Williams might technically be more American than Haas at this point. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I would say Williams... Williams is a very close second just because when I first started watching Formula One, it was Williams BMW at that time. So right. I kind of got that affinity. But, you know, Williams is a, is a team that was on top for a very long time, and they didn't really progress with the sport, and they fell behind, and, and obviously everything with the Williams family, um, and, and now with Doralton Capital and all of that. So that's a little bit of a weird one. But um, James Vowles being the team principal, team principal at Williams – uh, you know, because obviously he was head of strategy at Mercedes. He made a lot of great right. calls. So it's kind of interesting to see how he might build that team up. You know, I'm kind of yeah. following that oh. a bit closely. But so yeah, you're 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 very close to it. Oh, I'm in it. I watch it. Yeah, I you're you're definitely in it. Then I, I definitely was... want your opinion on this, right? Sure. There's the yes. 
there there's there's a big camp that said that last season was a boring season. What is your opinion on that? Well, um, I did see a filter that somebody had created where you basically put on the TV where the um, where the positions are, and you just basically remove Max Verstappen from the top. <laughs> and then you watch the rest of the race, and you go, wow, this is actually a pretty good race. You know? yeah, yeah. But, but, like, if we're being honest, like, I mean, granted, this season I think was very peculiar in terms of how dominant he was in that Red Bull. Yeah. Uh, but the, I mean, it's kind of what you expect. I mean, you have these drivers that come into their time when they have the right equipment, they have the skill set, they have the confidence, they have everything that they need at their disposal to take advantage of it. Yeah. And Red Bull got the regulations right. It's just that simple, right? Yeah. And it's not that Max Verstappen was not a great driver before. He just didn't have the equipment. Right. Right. Yeah. Now that Red it. Bull has nailed it and put the investment, especially with the drivetrain side of it because they took over from where Honda was, it's not really surprising that Red Bull is in front at the moment. And plus, Adrian Newey, he has experience with ground effect. Yeah. yeah. I'm not really surprised that Red Bull was able to get it. Um, obviously, Mercedes was expected to be strong, uh, but their concept was a little bit too far out there. Yeah. Heard some interesting stuff about that, by the way. Apparently, the zero pod design made the floor too flexible, so that's why they had interesting uh, effects with, uh, you know, losing downforce and gaining downforce with the porpoising. Yeah. That's a little bit. That's a little bit of a tangent, but listen, was it was it a was it a boring season? Yeah. When okay. you, when you pretty much know the you know what there's the only one driver who's going to win this race, it doesn't really make it that watchable. Yeah. But it is history, right? I mean, history was yeah. made. Uh, Red Bull built the most dominant Formula One car of all time. You have now probably, I don't think you'll ever see a driver win every every race but one ever again. Yeah. Including um, next year? What's that? Including next year? What, do you have any predictions for next year? I think the other teams are going to close up. Yeah. I think Mercedes ditching the zero pod design. Yeah, I think they're going to get a little bit closer. Because um, here's the thing, right? I don't, there is no difference or major difference between any of the engines now. They're all basically the same. They're all on par with each other. Right. Um, reliability is is pretty good. So really, the only thing that's going to affect your performance is is your arrow for the car and, and and how you can gain peak performance for downforce and have a slippery car in a straight line. Because that's why the Red Bull is so fast. It yeah. has very little drag, so it's fast in a straight line, and it creates maximum downforce when it's needed you know yeah. so it's 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 not really a surprise but i think the other teams are going to figure it out yeah all right you heard it here first gareth said red bull domination ends next year oh i'm not saying they're not going to dominate <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just, just messing with you <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's going to be 97 percent of the wins that's what i'm predicting. yeah okay okay no just 93 <laughs> yeah we'll see yeah, it's an, yeah it's a we'll see yeah, yeah it'll be a change all right on to the last headline for this week game changer Apple launches AirTag that fits in 10 millimeter socket. You, sir, are a man that wrenches a lot. I see it yep. all the time. Yep. Within the FCP Euro garage, like, is there, do you guys lose a lot of tools? Are you guys just super organized? Do you lose a lot of, a lot of tools? So, true story, I actually have my own little toolbox that I keep at work. I use my own stuff. I have, okay. it's like a Pelican case, mm -hmm. and it has a majority of what I use 90 plus percent of the time. Like, okay. like it's like your typical sockets, ratchets, screwdrivers, stuff like that. I use my stuff as much as possible because I own it and I want to use it. 
right. which is my thing. Yeah. Uh, we definitely have tools that break. We have tools that go missing. Uh, <laughs> we have a little bit of a unique situation in the respect that our shop area or where we film a lot of our DIYs, that is open for employees to use as long as they've been like garage certified. So, you know, do you know how to use a lift? Have you been training the lift? You know, are you in good standing as an employee, whatever, but like that's a, benef- a benefit that we want to extend to employees to, to oh, work nice. on their own cars. Yeah. So the reality of the situation is things are going to break. Things are going to go missing. That's just, that's just sort of the expense of, of having that. But um, honestly, I think, I think 10 millimeters are not a problem for us. Yeah. We, we, we have a free uh, 13s are a common one. Actually, the other thing, uh, we break Allen sockets like crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Five millimeter Allens and four millimeter Allens, those are the ones that uh, literally you cannot find ever. Oh, man, okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, BMW has a lot of applications where Allens were used. Fortunately, now they use Torx because, you know, those don't strip as easily. But, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the European side of things, I mean, you just have a lot of really goofy fasteners. And, and I'd say the biggest challenge is do, do we have the right socket for this random thing that we've come across, you know, and, uh, the, the amount of different standards and specs, like I'd say the, the other issues we just, we just sometimes run into a situation where like, we don't have this new style socket for this thing that we need to do, you know, like that, I would say that's where we get hit with stuff a lot. And then the other one would be like, Hey, we're taking on this job. Let's make sure we have the proper tools, whether it be timing tools, whether it be some special tools that are needed, that's where, that's where it gets a little crazy. We have a, a pretty good solid selection of specialty tools, but the problem is finding a place to store that stuff where it's organized, where you can find it when you need it. Yeah, I was just that was gonna be my follow up question, right? Uh, special yep. tools. I have special tools just for the E36, right? There's oh, special yeah. tools. Just how do you guys have your special tools organized? Is it by car? Is it by number? How do you do it? So I do have a special little drawer that I've created for some of the BMW stuff I want to make sure it doesn't get lost. So yeah. uh, a lot of the newer BMWs with the um, Bosch HDE V5 injectors, I want to make sure that that injector puller is always nearby. So it'd be like N55s, N20s, S55s, because that's just something that I don't want to have to search for. Right. Um, you know, that's one. Uh, the scan tool is one. We So we have one scan tool that is that is borrowed pretty universally by a lot of people. Okay. But I've, I've been in the middle of having to do something where I need that scan tool for a special service function, and it wasn't available, so we had to get a second one. And that second one is locked up in a box that you have to have a code to get to the keys to be able to get into. Oh, wow. Because that's the box that we traditionally use for a lot of DIYs, and it's pretty stocked up. That one is the one that's like you can't use unless you're actually filming something. But like we have some backups for the primary stuff in case the primary stuff just happens to disappear or was signed out or hasn't returned. It's a thing. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I mean, especially when you're filming DIYs, you don't want to get caught in the middle of filming no. something and not have a tool. How big is your your, your sort of your, your talent team, right, in terms of your yeah. your social media and DIY stuff? Um, so, you know, I, I, I did a decent amount of DIYs this past year, uh, when I was in a marketing role and now I'm back in a product role. So I'm not going to be doing as much moving forward, uh, just cause I have a lot of catalog work that needs to be done. But, uh, we have Mike Hidalgo who does a lot of our videos. He's the one who'll pop up and say, Hey, my good people. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's him. That's his shtick. He's like, all right, my good people. He's, uh, he's pretty much the primary talent for a lot of video work. So a lot of DIYs he's taking that on. So he's working on like almost everything that comes through. 
Okay. So he could be doing a DIY one day in a Volvo and a DIY in a Volkswagen the next day. And then the following day it could be an Audi back to a BMW. Uh, but, you know, he kind of has his own interesting collection of cars. So he has a, a, a 996. He has a Mini that he just got for free. He went to Texas to get a Land Cruiser to go off-roading. Oh, wow. He has a M30 swap D30. So he's already doing all of that. So he's already kind of jumping back and forth and dealing with it. But, I mean, realistically, talent pool in-house, we probably have like three, four, possibly five people who are pretty good on camera who can can explain what they're doing and do the work. Um, In terms of uh, social media, we only have one social media person technically who does a lot of the short-form content. That's Cerise. Um, she does a lot with grid life and she was doing the uh, LZ world tour and, and she spent some time out at the ESPN summer X game. So she was doing some work for that. So, oh, nice. but she does like a lot of that short form content and she can take stuff that's generally pretty bland and boring and make it look good and make it interesting. So she pumps out a lot of that short form content. So everything you see on Instagram is, is pretty much her work. Okay. Um, you know, so yeah, we, we have actually a pretty, I'd say like our marketing side of it, we're like maybe 15 people. Oh, it's a pretty it. good team. Yeah. No, that's it's a pretty a, big a, team. It needs to be more in my opinion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of dual know, responsibilities. It, it's it's dual responsibilities. And then on top of it, um, you know, like one thing we're in in this past year is I had to build an F30 328i. Okay. For a vendor. All right. We sold the car. Uh, under the concept of making an F thirty three twenty eight I faster than an E forty six M three. Okay. The storyline of that changed pretty drastically because it's not that hard to make a car go fast in a straight line. Yeah. Uh, but we had a pretty decent budget. I think between zero three four Motorsport and uh, CRP Industries, which they want us to promote the Ryan brand, was like a lot of coolant hoses and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, we had like a seventy thousand dollar budget for the car. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's good. And they wanted me to do it, and I'm like, okay, um, yeah, I know what I want to do to make it handle well, but I think the car is going to suck, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I, I had this kind of negative thought process of going into it just based on my experience with N20s before working on them. Um, I just never found those cars to be that appealing. But I'm like, if I do have to make this car interesting, what is the first thing I'm going to do? Need to remove the softness. Because they're just yeah. the the F thirty three series is a very soft feeling car and does not feel very sharp, right? right. Um, but while I'm working on that particular project, like mind you, I have like a ton of parts just sitting in the shop, and I'm taking this thing apart. I'm on the lift next to Mike, who's doing a DIY video, and we're filming these things congruently, and it's just like it's gets kind of messy. We need like more oh. space. Yeah. Long-term projects need a place to go. But like at that point, uh, Nate and Alex Nelson were building a rally Cayman. Okay. So that was on one lift, which is like, was a long, long, long-term project. Right. A DIY video going on another lift. And then this F 33 series, which I had three weeks to build. Oh man. Okay. And it's like, it's just a lot of stuff happening at the same time. And like, I had to stop doing the work that I was doing. So Mike could do the work that he like, you know, if he needed to use an impact gun, I'm like, all right, you, you say what you got to say and that I can cut back over here. So nobody on this mic picks up that going on over there. You know, it's like, yeah, no, that's, that's a lot you of don't see behind the scenes. Yeah. It's hard enough just to, just if it was just one car to have to Correct. film the work that you're doing. Right. It's like triple the time, let alone three different uh, streams of work going at the same time. 
and there's a part of that where like a lot of our video editors like we have them kind of hanging out behind a wall that's right. also used as an office space oh. so it's a workshop and office space and we have we have like vendors that come in on tours and it's just like this space is so inefficient because it's so many things at once. Yeah. Like yeah. we need more space, more people. It's just, you know, I think that's the challenge of every single business is you just never have enough. So we have to make do what we have, but considering what we have, we do manage to get a lot of really good content out there and the production quality is very high, but um, you know, it's always a matter of manpower time in a day, how much space you have to work with. And, and that's just always the battle. Oh man, yeah, it seriously, it seriously is. But I have a lot to thank FCP Euro for, um, and I really, really wanted you to ask this, ask you this question because sure. I'm so curious. Okay. Lifetime replacement guarantee. How mm -hmm. do you do it? How does that work behind the scenes? So you know, there's a there's actually a lot that goes into it. We've had to significantly increase. Um, our manpower just on the return side of it because right. it is something that does have to actively be managed. Now we have a lot of customers. A majority of our customers do not take advantage of it in, in a negative way. Right. right. A lot of people, you know, let's say you bought a control arm 18 months ago and the ball joint wore out for some reason, maybe the boot split, maybe it was defective, whatever. Right. A yeah. lot of people are, Oh, ambulance is driving by my house. I don't know if you can hear that. Yeah, I live on the main road. It's it's awful, but <laughs> yeah. um, the um, you know the the spirit of the warranty was always like, hey, listen, if you if you experience a problem, we want to take care of it for you. Want to make it right, right? Right. It sort of snowballed from there, right? Because uh, we have some people who have straight up tried to send stuff back to us that they'd never even purchased from us. So, oh uh, wow! And this is why we have to pay people to actually look at the stuff that's being returned under warranty or new returns. Because unfortunately, I like to call it the Amazon effect. Yeah, everything that gets returned to Amazon is not resold. It gets thrown on a pallet, and then people buy those pallets. We don't do that, right? Uh, okay, yeah. So we actually look at what gets returned. We verify if it's resellable or if it is actually a warranty item. And that is a process that has to be managed, you know? So there is a cost that's associated with it. Yep. But it did help the brand grow because at the time, nobody else was really doing it. Yeah. And uh, there's this concept in, uh, in business of a purple cow. So it's a unique thing that nobody else has. And like it, retailing car parts is not special. It, yeah. it, it isn't, right? It's... yeah. Where it becomes challenging is, okay, how good is the product that you sell? Do you actually like pay attention to what you're listing or are you just selling whatever you have access to? And then the second is, how do you service customers if they have issues? Um, you know, How do you take care of customers long-term? And that is sort of where that came from. Now, when it first rolled out, I thought to myself, okay, I should probably have another job you know, lined up just in case you know, <laughs> yeah. this doesn't go well. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is it, it didn't actually bump up our returns that much. Okay. You know, maybe a fraction, um, but it gave a reason for people to stay loyal. It separated us from the competition, so it did help growth. And, you know, we also have the nice, uh, you know, fact of we have some vendors, like our larger ones, like Bosch, for example, which is a huge multi-billion dollar international company. Yep. Um, you know, they give us a, a, a warranty allowance. Oh, nice. Okay. Based on purchases, right? So whether it's 3 or 4%, whatever, I mean, those are all kind of write-offs at that point. Right. So anything that gets returned from Bosch is, yeah, it's defective. It gets thrown away. We don't have to really make a big deal out of that. 
Yeah. Um, but then other products like, you know, let, let's say brake pads, that is a wear item, right? Yep. Hawk DTC 60s, DTC 70s, like, no, we, we don't have a return allowance or a warranty allowance for those types of things because that is a wear item. It's going to wear out. Yeah. Uh, but we find that customers who are buying those types of products, particularly performance products, uh, they have such a higher, they have a significantly higher uh, customer value in terms of how much they spend that whatever it is that they return or warranty, they're still buying so many other things that never come back that we actually do make quite a bit of money on that it sort of covers itself. Um, so it. one way or the other, it tends to work out, but yeah, it is something that has to be managed and, and it has definitely kept us from expanding into other areas, but we're, we're starting to explore things like, you know, maybe the possibility of wheels, maybe the possibility of, of some other parts like that, because that's kind of what we have to do. And, you know, one thing that we definitely want to improve on is, is being able to offer more, right? So you don't have to go to other places to buy these things. You can actually get it from us. We're, but we, we need to figure out how to do that properly first, you know? Right. Because uh, for the most part, whenever you are introducing a new product, you want to retain that lifetime replacement on whatever product you're bringing in. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, you know, it's, it's realistically, I mean, like, again, it's, it's all very realistic stuff that gets returned. It's not like, wow, this is excessive. And, you know, we do have to manage those cases of people who are simply trying to abuse us. Like, right. you know, we, we've a good example. Somebody bought a BMW M performance steering wheel okay. and they tried to return the electronics from like an Alibaba steering wheel in there, which were caught by our team. They came to me and they asked me, hey, does this look legit to you? I go, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. And we were able to find an Alibaba and that person ended up admitting like, oh, yeah, I tried to sneak one on you guys, which is shitty. But like, yeah. That's why we have people who actually look at this stuff. You know, we're not some like yeah. large corporation where we where we're not going to act, actively manage that. If we have to, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, that's wow. That's I mean, I guess it's cool that they admitted it, but really shitty to attempt it. Like that's, yeah, that yeah that I mean, it's because I'm I'm in the category that you described. I mean, FCP Euro has kept me on track. Mm -hmm. right like yeah brake pads i mean i'm on my third set of hawks yep. due to fcp euro's lifetime replacement but yeah it keeps me loyal to all the other parts that i have to use i mean all my right. oil comes from fcp euro mm -hmm. so yeah no i get it that's and and it's it's been awesome and i'm, I'm constantly saying like you should buy a bmw and they're like why because fcp euro has lifetime replacement guarantee you yeah. were, were going to say you should buy a BMW because they're fun and they're reliable and they never break. And, they and that argument eat. doesn't seem to work anymore. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. But speaking of BMWs, yes. I want to yes. pivot from FCP Euro and go to sort of the my first introduction to Gareth, mm -hmm. which was uh, when you started building your E36, which was around the same time that I started building mine. Yeah. Um, and take me through sort of that adventure and where you're at now. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so that, that car <laughs> was purchased as a distraction uh, back in late 2018. So I knew that I wanted to build a track car. I had recently come out of a pretty long-term relationship, had to sell a house, you know, real-life yeah. stuff, right? And right. I had finally dealt with all of that, and I had some, some you know cash in my account from selling the house, fortunately made out on that. Um, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I want to do something for me and this is what I want to do. I want a car that I can take the track and not have to worry about. And so I'm like, right. yeah, you know, E36, that makes a lot of sense. Found an E36 328 locally to, uh, FCP Euro. It was that 
person was actually a customer of ours. The car was decent. I mean, it had typical high mileage E36 stuff. Like, for example, rear shock towers were blown out. The front sway bar mounts were kind of collapsing. And there were some very questionable wiring repairs done. Oh, you know? always. Yeah. So it's, it's like, for me, I'm like, all right, this is great. You know, because I could fix these things. The car wasn't that much money. It already had coilovers on it. So I'm like, I could use those and I can keep it cheap. Like, I'm right. not going to put a lot of money into it. Yeah. The lie that we tell ourselves. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like I, I pulled me, I literally I pulled the engine in my driveway, um, worked on the engine, um, you know, during the, uh, during the winter. So resealed the whole thing, you know, did, did M3 cams and did M50 manifold conversion, oil pan baffle, Z3 pickup, like literally everything you can think of new timing components, right? right. Did everything but the head gasket. What is the thing that failed on me in 2019? Of course. Yeah. So cracked the cylinder head. So actually, believe it or not, it was the, it was the radiator that was with the car it was a, a, a Mishimoto radiator. But the radiator was not sitting on rubber isolator, so one of the end tanks failed uh, because of the vibration, right? Because it's right. soldered on. Yeah. And uh, that failure uh, caused the engine to overheat uh, a week before a track day. Oh, no. So now, of course, I'm like, oh, shoot, right? Yeah. I do all the tests. I do, you know, leak down, compression, right? I'm like, I think it's good. I think it's good. It's fine. I drive this thing all the way from Milford to Palmer Motorsport Park, right? Okay. I do five sessions. Somewhere on the fourth session, this thing starts to do something weird to go up a hill. It kind of feels like a misfire. And right. I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe fuel's a little bit low. I'll put some fuel in it. So I do the fifth session. Still doing it. So I know it's not fuel-related. Come off track for the fifth session. Recognize that there's a, a little bit of a coolant leak out of lower radiator hose. Put my hand on the lower radiator hose. It's rock hard. Oh man! And now we're in denial. We're like, it's not a, it's no, it's it's. There's no compression in there. It's fine. It hasn't blown the expansion tank cap off. It's fine. I drove the thing all the way back home to Danbury. It's a long drive. Yeah. The following day, I do a leak down test again. Of course, cold, because I didn't want to do it hot because I didn't want to find the thing. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> Everything is good. I'm, not, I'm doing a, a, a training session in in. Um, Stanford with uh, World Pack. It was uh, for the S85 and S65 engines. So I'm like, yeah, I signed up to do it because I want to learn something. Of course, I decided to drive the E36 because it was still a road car at this point. Right. Never made it. Never made it to Stanford. Fortunately, one of my coworkers who was going with me, he was he was able to pick me off of the side of I95, oh, and and bring man. me to the uh, you know bring me to the course. Uh, but it got towed by a pretty unscrupulous tow company. Came back to Danbury. It was like 500 bucks for the tow because you know of course cash only. I'm like, okay, yeah. here you go. And yeah. from that point forward, I was like, all right, I have a spare engine. Let me put the spare engine in. Drove the car for another month. That is the last time it has done anything. That was in 2019. Oh, it's been really? Four, four years. Four years of constant escalation of, oh, it's not going to be an expensive build. <laughs> 2019, I stripped the, like late 2019, stripped the interior out. Dropped up to Autosport Fab, have a full cage built. I decide I'm going to go true rear coil over in the rear, so I want the cage tied to the shock tower. So I, I cut out the rear parcel shelf. It's all gone, right? Right. Put the cage in. Then, you know, 2020 rolls through, so I had no motivation to do anything during 2020. Yep. Right? The only thing I actually ended up doing in 2020 was I discovered that the bottom of the fuse box was totally corroded. Full oh, of green and white pus. 
right? Oh, weird. I go, how okay. is this not shorted, right? Because when I bought the car, it didn't have a fuse box cover, so water got in there. Oh, got it. Okay. Let me tell you how hard it is to find a body harness for a manual transmission OBD 328i sedan. OBD2, like, basically, you know, 96 to 98 manual transmission. Yeah. Could not find one. You know how I get it? I had to buy a whole other car. Oh, wow. Yeah. You bought a whole car for a harness. I bought a whole car for a harness <laughs> and obviously some other stuff. It was a good deal. It was 1500 bucks, 200,000 miles, okay. still running. Yeah. So I have another engine out of it. Granted, I would not put that engine into the car, right? Yeah. Because uh, what's in there right now is half the mileage. Uh, but during that time, I uh, I slapped in, and this is not something that I actually threw out there. Like, I didn't really post anything about it, but I, I slapped in an M54B30 crank and M54B30 piston. So it's now a three-liter stroker. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. It's not, it's not tuned for any of that. And it was also <laughs> a little bit of a – it was a little bit of a dirt – well, I mean, it's going to be, but um, that's – that's I haven't gotten to that point yet. I've just been trying oh, okay. to finish all the other stuff. Right. Um, but, yeah, you know, 2021 rolled around. I was busy with IMSA, so, you know, I was trying to work on it in between here and there. And then, you know, I decide, oh, you know, let me let me do, like – billet control arms in the rear so i bought mrt arms uh you know that had dtm arms in the front from akg and then i decided oh, i don't really like the akg arms so i'm gonna buy the mrt arms because they're you know they're basically uh i thought were a little bit safer which by the way the mrt arms are sitting in my living room right now and i have e46 arms on it instead right this is the problem is every step of the way it's like <laughs> I want to try this. I'm going to try this. I want track width. I'm going to do this. And, 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 and this is why when you don't have a clear goal for the final result, scope creep. Oh, scope yeah. Creep then also turns into uh, a budget drain. Right. And I was supposed to do a track day with uh, one of my good friends this year uh, in October at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Uh, but, uh, I had another thing that kind of came up with my daily driver that I had to address cause I have to get to and from work. Right. Right. Uh, but basically, uh, yeah, I, I blew my entire budget this year before I could even do a track day. Oh man. Okay. So you're budgeting yearly and you're making sure you're not yeah. going over. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Because I'm like, this is what I can comfortably do because here's the thing. The important part is I own nothing on that car. Everything I've paid for has been cash no credit card. If it's on a credit card, I got the points for it at least. So we'll say like there is some financial responsibility in this build. Right. But if there was no financial responsibility here and we're just being totally irrational and we slapped all, yeah, it would have been done years ago, but you know, I, I wouldn't be in better shape for it. So yeah. I tried to build it responsibly, but the problem with building it responsibly is you have to make decisions every step along the way. And as you're waiting to, you know, make the next move or get the next thing that you need, your eyes start to wander and you see all these pretty shiny things that you could have. Yeah. And funny <laughs> enough, literally today with my team, like we have a, a nice little BMW team at FCP Euro. We always bounce ideas up. We start talking about N54 manifold swaps and S54 ITBs and all that. I'm like, guys, stop. You're killing me. You're killing me. Let's just, <laughs> yeah. I have an M50 manifold. The M50 manifold's fine. I don't, I don't need S54 ITBs. I don't need a carbon plenum. I want those things, but that's yeah. not going to help me get to where I need to be unless, unless yeah. we can like put a budget for that. But you know, that's just the way it is. You know, I think that's, I think we all suffer from that addiction, unfortunately. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess this is a bit of an unfair question and a little hypocritical of me because I have a race car that's sitting that needs work also. Mm -hmm. But it, when do you think you're going to see this car on the track? If you uh, had 20, to put a time. It's going to be April, 2024. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Well, right around the I, corner. I just, I just need to have it tuned so I don't blow the engine up. Right. You know? Right. Um, so I'm going to send the DME off to castle and have them just throw a flash tune on it. I don't need anything specific. I just want to make sure that I can run reliably and safely. I need to yeah. put in the kill switch. I did a solid state kill on it. So I just need to wire that in. And, uh, you know, all the safety stuff is done. I do want to put fire suppression in it. And then once all that's done, just slap some track pads on it and throw an alignment on it. And that's it. Send it. Good Figure to it go. Out. Yep. Yeah. Right after your birthday. Yeah, gonna be, exactly. Yeah, exactly, yeah, you know? yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be great. All right, all right, we'll keep you to that. But now uh, we're gonna put you on the hot seat. It's that we oh got into that time of the episode. We're gonna hit the Motorhead Blitz. Sure. And as all a right. reminder for you and anyone listening, these are ten questions, a thousand points each question, and on the points. final question, you get to wager anything you've banked to potentially double your points. Okay. And Take a chance at becoming the King Motorhead. So what's the worst that anybody's ever done? Zero. Okay, all right. So yes. that's that's the floor. We're good. All right. Yeah, that's the floor. So the worst you can do is tie. <laughs> yeah. The worst you can do is tie. Um, right. And as we get closer to the end, I'll let you know what the current King Motorhead has. Sure. And that way uh, we can decide how, you, how much you want to wager. All right, here but we are go. You, are you ready to kick this off? I'm a little bit nervous because I, I, I always want to do well with stuff, but we'll, we'll see what these questions are. Like I said, I live in my own little bubble sometimes, so we'll see. All right. You know, the, the typical racer excuses, right? Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. All right. Automakers believe this new feature will turn into a multi-billion dollar revenue stream. Your options are dealer markups, subscriptions, performance trims, or lifetime fluids. Subscriptions all day long. Boom, you got it. Yeah, easy peasy. You're going to do great that's here. The, you already the got meme, That's the meme of the year. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So it might become the meme of the decade here pretty soon. It's Not to get off track, forever. but you know you know what the whole you know the whole catch on that is, right? Why? Uh no. Because they want to build cars to the same spec. So you don't have to have different variations of seats. You don't have to have different variations right. of equipment. You simply pay to unlock those features. Yeah. It's cheaper when, to manufacture you know, cars that way. Yeah, and you're going to have the person that knows how to work around that, right? I mean, like, eventually, we, eventually. Yeah, yeah, eventually it'll catch up. But you're right. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Oh, man, that industry. All right. You got a thousand points coming into question number two. Elon was caught lying about the Cybertruck beating a car by this automaker in the quarter mile while towing the same car. Your options are Porsche. Mm-hmm. BMW, Audi, or Ferrari? Mm. God, who would he? I'm going to have to go with Porsche. There's a wild card there. Oh, my God. You are perfect so far. Wow. 2,000 wow. points, sir. Right. Yeah. Apparently, people did some sleuthing, and it wasn't actually a quarter mile. It was the ha- It was the eighth mile. That they actually did, but he's passing it as the quarter mile. Um, well, had it been the the semi truck works too; it just rolls downhill, you know. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh man, do anything for marketing on this car since it's not doesn't seem to be doing too well. What is marketing. your opinion on the Cybertruck, by the way, really quickly? I'm actually shocked that it's a tangible thing because it's like what four or five years behind schedule or something like that. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't I mean, I actually don't really understand Tesla. The, the valuation of Tesla as a company seems extreme to me. 
Yeah. And if it's if the IP is all based around its autonomous driving, I could tell you that the semi-autonomous driving in my BMW is better than the autonomous driving, to me at least. I just, yeah. I just, I just don't. A world of a world of self-driving cars scares me, quite frankly. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think yeah. we're a long way from that, though. I, we definitely are. We for yeah. sure are. Yeah. Um. All right. So you're now two for two, two thousand points total in the bank. Going to all question right. number three. Hoonigan's Electricana Two was released this week posthumously. R.I.P. Ken Block, mm-hmm. and is set in which South American city? Buenos Aires, Medellin. Mexico City or Antigua? So, fun story. We actually had an airing, um, at a showing at work for this because oh, nice. we had a little sticker somewhere on the car. Yeah. I didn't go to watch it because I was doing work. Okay, so of course. If I had done this, I would know the answer. <laughs> uh, so, I actually don't know at all. Um, I didn't actually, and to be honest with you, I didn't like the original Electricana either. I mean, Vegas was cool, but like, it just did. Listen. The best one is the first one in my book. Oh, yeah, of course. Didn't have the production quality, but the concept, the original, like that, that is the one that I go back to to watch all the time. Yeah, I mean, my uh, head exploded since, the first time I saw it. Oh, yeah. I don't know the answer yeah. here. I'm going to say Medellin because Medellin, I don't know. Okay. Uh, you've got your first incorrect answer, Good, sir. Right. It, yeah. It was Mexico City. You've still got 2,000 points. Yeah, Kim Block's final video was set in Mexico City, and it was wild to see they closed an airport for this, which is is wild to me. But it is Mexico. So, I, had, I, had uh, a, I had to throw out Medellin. I feel like that would be like the most gangster place to do it. But it you know, would, it you know. would, yeah, it would. That would have been awesome. All right, two thousand points. You're two for three. Going into question number four on the Motorhead Blitz, mm-hmm. Mercedes was just beat out for the highest altitude climb by this German manufacturer by climbing a volcano. Your options are Volkswagen, Audi, BMW, or Porsche. For climbing a volcano. Yep. Hit the highest I, altitude possible. You know, I mean, that's it's funny because every single brand you threw out there is part of the VAG family. And, yeah. uh, you know, that I feel like that would be a Quattro ad, you know, from yeah. back in the days when they used to do up, like, the, the ski jumps. Yeah. This is another one I don't know, but I, I feel like this is something that Audi would do to show off Quattro. Okay, Audi, final answer. Uh, yeah, let's go, Audi. Okay, it is actually Porsche. Porsche, ah. actually, yeah, took the record from Mercedes, which is surprising. I would have made the same assessment. Mercedes yeah. had the record, like, around 20,000 feet, and Porsche beat them out by 1,700 feet by climbing wow. a volcano in Chile. Yeah, wow. the ground clearance on the car they used is more than a Ford Raptor <laughs> on a Porsche. Jesus. On a 911, well, you know, I mean, yeah. Yeah, Grant, I mean, Porsche with the SUVs, it's... But, I mean, for being honest, th- there is some Audi somewhere in there. It's not quite 100% Porsche. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. You know? yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, there's some uh, some some inspired by in there, too. Exactly, exactly. All right, but now we're circling right. back to question number five. Continuing the Audi, te- Audi theme, Audi is saying goodbye to this car in 2024. Iron Man might be sad about it. Okay. Your right. options are A3, A6, R8, or Q5. Uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. It's, de- it's not going <laughs> to be the Q5. Everybody loves SUVs, so it's got to be R8. Final answer. Final answer. You are correct, sir. Good. That's another 1,000 points for you. Excellent. The R8 is not coming back next year. 
along with the TT, actually. There's a lot of cars not coming back. The Charger's not coming back. The cha- the Challenger's not coming back. Um, mm. Everybody's planning for electrification, I think. That's that's the that's the difference. See, that's I, I, I have a I have a belief the industry is really moving more towards plug in hybrids over pure electrification. Yeah, I, I actually I'm with you on that. I think Toyota took uh, what everybody thought was a gamble and now they're winning uh, as a result by doing the hybrid stuff. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So you are now at three thousand points with three for five going into question number six. What name has Tesla given to the highest trim Cybertruck? Your options are Cyber Beast, Cyber Elon, Optimus <laughs> Prime, or Ludicrous. Ooh. What was that first one again? Cyber Beast. I'm going to go with Cyber Beast. Uh, it's just I can't see it being Ludicrous. Look at you, man. 4,000 points. You got another 1,000 points. Yeah. The Cyber Beast is the highest trim. In 2019, fun fact, it was announced that it was going to cost $69,900. Currently, it's $99,990. $100,000 for this truck. That is ludicrous. I mean, not Cyber Beast. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, thirty thousand dollars <laughs> yeah. for those for those weird panels. I'm good. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. All right, four thousand points. You're now four for six. Going to question number seven. You're doing right. excellent right now. All right, here we go. Here we go. Question number seven. This Ford Legend might be leaving us in 2028. F one fifty Mustang. Bronco or Explorer? Ooh. Well, they can't be the Mustang because, you know, they have the, the Mach-E, and that's, you know, it's a Mustang. That's what they have, right? So it can't be that. There's no way they can get rid of the F-150. Yeah. Um, they just introduced the Bronco again, and they're making huge money on that, or the dealers are. Yeah, I don't, I'm going to go with Explorer. Go Explorer. With Explorer. Yeah. The correct answer is the Mustang. Unfortunately, oh they yeah, really? they delineated between the Mustang and the Mach-E are different cars in this case. Uh, it, it is the S650 Mustang. And so what? it is rumored because of the UAW deal is indicating that production of the Mustang is going to end in 2028. And many believe the S750 is going to be electric. Wow. Yep. Yeah. yeah see, I, that's that was... I don't. I don't. I don't really follow anything. I, wow. See, I, I would have thought it'd been the Explorer. I mean, there's only so many police departments that, that can buy them. <laughs> so. You know what? Yeah. I, it's it's weird too because uh, I didn't even know the Explorer was still around. If I'm being honest, like other than the police, like it's like oh, I would. I figured it would have been gone a while ago. But it is an every, SUV. Every so. single time. Every single time I see one, I go. I'm not sure if that's a cop car or not. At least here in Connecticut, the state the state police cars are not marked. They're all gray. Oh really? The only, yeah, the only thing that you can tell that makes them a state vehicle is they don't have a roof rack on them. But even then, it's a little bit of a risky. It's like, yeah, you just don't pass it. You yeah, know? no, you see the lights and then you just yeah, yeah I miss the Crown cool. The Crown Vicks yeah, are always. But, I know those. I know those headlights. So you know, yeah. but it is what yeah. it is. Yeah, become an expert over here. We don't have too many explorers though. I mean, I think uh, yeah, not out here. But anyway, let's go on to our next question. You have 4,000 points in the bank. You're four All for right. seven. Going into our eighth question, 
Motor Trend has crowned this midsize truck as the truck of the year for 2024. Your options are Chevy Colorado, Toyota Tacoma, Nissan Frontier, and Honda Ridgeline. The Honda Ridgeline qualifies as a truck? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a tough one. I mean, I would just I have opinions. I know. Um... You know what? I'm. This is something I'm not really gonna know too much about, but I, I just I see Tacomas all over the place, and they are ridiculously popular, and they're insanely overpriced, but they hold value. What about Tacoma? Tacoma. Final yeah. answer. Final answer. Why not? It's the Chevy Colorado. No freaking actually. way. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Apparently, you across like seven different categories, they rated it as the truck of the year. I was surprised too. I had the same logic as you. I was like, man, the Tacoma is everywhere. It has to be this car. Huh. But right. Chevy is probably uh, paying Motor Trend for, for that deal there. Yeah. So no, you're it's... now four for eight, still with yeah. 4,000 points, going into your last question before the wager question. All right. So question number nine, here we go. Rental company Sixth will be dumping this brand from its fleet due to high repair costs. Okay. Your options are Rivian. Stellantis, Ford, or Tesla? Okay, I do know something about Chrysler, and I'm going to throw some shade here. I'm going to go with Stellantis because they have some unreliable product right now. Okay. They might be unreliable, but it seems to be cheaper to fix than the Tesla because Tesla is the one that's getting dumped for high repair costs. Apparently it costs way too much to fix those cars. Interesting. Um, mm. It's probably all battery stuff. If I'm being I honest. would imagine. I would imagine. But I, I saw something on like uh, the Stellantis product was like five out of 10 of the least reliable vehicles. Like Jeep Grand Cherokee was up there. Wow. Wrangler was in there. The Pacifica or, you know, what used to be the town and country was up there. It was like literally five cars out of the lineup. I'm like, yeah, those are all like, most of them are like rental cars, you know? So yeah. I was, use, I was using that little thing that popped up as the, it's got to <laughs> yeah. be Stellantis, but all right, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, they have that GM in general has got a bit of a reputation. Oh, it does. Yeah. All right. So you're coming into your last question. You yep. do have a chance at a podium here, okay. but the number one, the King Motorhead is at 10,001 points, so we can't reach that. Yes. But if you were to wager all 4,000, that would put you at third place in the standings. All right. How well, much you know do you what? want to wager? You know what? Um, you're not a racing driver if you no longer go for a gap that exists. Uh, yeah, that's so right. Let's, let's wager the 4000 because the worst I could do is tie for last, right? Yeah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, here we go. You've, wedged, you've wagered $4,000. Coming to the last question, Toyota introduced a simulated manual transmission for its electric vehicles to enhance driver engagement. The patent shows it will have this many speeds. Your options are 14 speeds, 24 speeds, 54 speeds, or 104 speeds. Holy crap. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, you know what? This this had to be simulated speeds for an electric vehicle. That was the... that That's it. That's what they've got going on. And actually, it's pretty cool pretty cool tech it's weird but it's pretty cool tech and this is to simulate a shift to simulate a shift correct 
Okay, so you'd want to have to experience that under all sorts of conditions. What was the all right? What was the largest number on that? One hundred and four. And what? All right, so just give me the numbers again. I'm, I want to think about this okay. logically. Fourteen, twenty-four, fifty-four, or one hundred and four. Okay. So it's gonna be yeah. downshifting, upshifting, acceleration. You know what? I for some reason I'm 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 feeling I'm feeling fifty four, but I have a feeling it could be a hundred and four. But I'm gonna go with fifty four. Fifty four speeds. Yeah. Final answer. Yes. It is fourteen, sir. Oh. <laughs> Well, I overanalyzed is what you're saying. I'm like, all right, well, you know, when you go to kick yeah. down, it does this. And yeah, yeah. this load, it does that. Yeah. This just means you have to come back and try to take that's, the title hey, once again. That, that's that's totally fair. That's uh, yeah, yeah. I overanalyzed the heck out of that one. All right. Yeah, yeah. It is 14 speeds. Um, it you can customize the gear ratio, gear ratios. Sure. You can set up different profiles for you to change. You can even change the shift pattern. Apparently, if you want reverse to the right, reverse to the left. Wild technology that Toyota's coming up with. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I would say a little bit meaningless, but fun to think sure. about. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. Gareth, thank you so much thank for you. being the guest host on the podcast today. I had so much fun, man. Uh, this was super cool. Uh, any Anyone you want to shout out? Anything you want to, you know, any last words you want to say here? You know what? It's, uh, we got, what, 6.13. I haven't had anything to eat today. Been bad today. So I'm going <laughs> to definitely, definitely have some food after this. Uh, but uh, really, the shout out, um, Nah, you know, shout out would be love the E36s, love that five speed. Hopefully, yeah. shout out for 2024 for being a uh, for being a year where I actually finally get that on track. But that's not really a shout out, is it? That's just a that's just a goal. Nah, it's a commitment. You've now said it twice, so it's a yeah, <laughs> it's a, yeah, yeah. Now, instead of a shout out, I've done a commitment. I've, I've yeah, yeah. That's even better. Yeah, hold myself to it. So that's <laughs> yeah. what it is. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Oh, man. Well, that is our episode. You can find us at 91octane.com. That is all letters, no numbers. Also, like and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Follow us on Instagram at 91octane. If you want to send us any emails, info at 91octane.com. Have a good night.